Praise the Lord. Turn to somebody next to you. Say, the life of God dwells in me. And the life of God dwells in you. Therefore, you have victory. In every situation, under every circumstance, and in every place. And your victory releases a fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere you go. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So you should smell. You should have an odor of victory. An air about yourself concerning victory as Christians. So we live in a culture, if we're not careful, we can be conformed to the world. We can become victims of everything that's come our way. But Jesus turned that around to make you a victor, to make you victorious. And so you can concentrate on one thing or another. You can focus on one thing or another. But he says, if you'd focus on the victory, if your confession would be, thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If your declaration would be, thanks be unto God who always, somebody say always, always causes me to triumph in Christ Jesus. See, sometimes we think always triumphing means there will never be a battle. But if there's never a battle, you have no triumph. And so we know there's an enemy out there. We know there's a battle that shouldn't catch us by surprise. But knowing that we have the victory, there's just a different mindset in victory than there is in defeat. And so uh, the enemy knows that. He knows uh, some things uh, over history. He's done a lot of uh, watching, seeking whom he may devour. And so he knows that somebody that could easily pick up a victim's mentality uh, could easily be devoured. But when it's not easy to get you into a victim mentality, when you're always looking to overcome, when you're always looking to, to come upon that. I know sometimes people go, oh, geez, it's just almost exhausting to have to think about victory. I, I mean, just leave me alone. I just want to, I mean, what's the alternative? What's the alternative to victory? It's defeat. And uh, Jesus did not die for us to be defeated. Didn't raise from the dead for us to be defeated. Amen. And so, yeah, there's a constant struggle about that. But he didn't give us this idea and, and, and somehow we're more pious or holy if we, we admit defeat. No, we look and say, you know what? Certainly there's things there, but Jesus rose from the dead. And the victor lives on the inside of me. Amen? And we'll get to that just a little bit. Amen. So we started a series of messages just a couple of weeks ago that we entitled, God Help Me. God help me. And it could be a prayer. We talked about this. How many times you get in a situation, you're just like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. God help me. And uh, many times we're looking afar off somewhere where God would help me. And so the end conclusion of that may be, you know, simply God didn't come to help me. What we want to do is we want to uh, hopefully clear up some of that stuff. Some of you say, oh, I know, I know. But really until we're walking in that victory, we're walking in the strength that he provides. We're walking in the overcoming power then we still have some understanding that we need so that we can draw upon the help that we actually have need of and have some understanding concerning help. So we're not just, uh, the message isn't about crying out for help. It's about understanding that help is available. Help is available. And how, right? Where does our help come from, right? How do we access that help? And uh, uh, what is that help for? Amen. Praise the Lord. And so, I'm sorry, you know, uh, if I was on top of it, I would have had those three in a bullet point like Pastor Jonathan, but um, I'm old school. I believe in actually taking notes. Rather than me just putting the notes up there, 
you could take them. Amen. Amen. So you could write that down, right? (laughs) We're going to talk about where our help comes from, right? How do we access that help? And what's that help for? Amen. So if we do that, uh, uh, I believe that we're going to begin to see our life in a totally different manner. Amen? Because it's so easy when we don't have a clarity, when we're always thinking God's off somewhere uh, and he didn't help me, that we have an issue that starts to take place of that God's not doing what God said he would do. And it's very subtle, but we become discouraged in some things. So Psalms 121, this is our foundation for this particular uh, series of messages. It says, uh, this is a passion translation. It says, I looked up to the mountains and hills uh, longing for God's help. But then I realized that our true help and protection come only, somebody say only, come only from the Lord, our creator who made the heavens and the earth. He will guard and guide me, never letting me stumble or fall. Glory to God. God is my keeper. He will never forget or ignore me. Praise the Lord. The psalmist even knew that uh, many times ago. He said, I know I looked where my help comes from. So even as believers, many times, you know, I've been doing this uh, pastoring for quite a while now, been in the ministry for 40 years now, and there's just a number of people. They they could be faith people. They could uh, be in the word, but still so many times they're wondering, they're looking for places and looking for help, looking to somebody for help, looking maybe for money. Money will help me be happy, looking for a career that'll make me uh, feel secure and, and and worthy if I have a good career, a good position in life. Some struggle with that. So drugs and alcohol, they think that will help bring them to a place of peace and, and it helps them to, to, to diffuse things, right? Some look to elicit sex and relationships to give them help because they feel insecure about life. But the thing that we found over the history and period of time is that none of those are true help. They all end in a place of discouragement and disappointment because unfounded expectation leads to disappointment. And not one of those things that we look to, even as the psalmist said, I looked to the hills. I looked up and looked to the hills in the creation and said, where's my help going to come from? And he realized something. My only true help comes from the Lord. And once he settled that and realized my help, the one who's going to help me in any situation was the creator of the heavens and the earth. That's that, that would be a pretty good help to have somebody who created everything, right? And so we start looking to all these different things and say, man, maybe somebody could help me financially. Maybe somebody could do this. When we realize he is our source of help and only him. True help, only him. Now again, I know your mind's going to go a number of different directions. We're going to have to listen to what the Spirit of God says. So we don't help anybody? No, we help people. We'll see that along the way. But it still comes from God. It still comes from God. It'll eliminate all kinds of problems that we have with insecurity if we really actually realize when I help somebody, I'm helping with the grace or the strength that God gives. Therefore, he gets the glory. I don't need it. That went over good. Uh, He gets the glory. I don't need it because it's actually not me. It's him. Right? And so we begin to see that. And so as we we look at this and and where our help comes from and and begin to look at it, turn over to Psalms 46. Psalms 46, Psalmist says this, God is our refuge and our strength. He's a 
very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, and though its waters roar and, the trouble, uh, and be troubled, though the mountains shake with swelling. Then he says, Selah. He says, think about this for a moment. Don't just read over it too fast. Think about it for a moment. The Lord is my refuge and my fortress. The Lord God, the almighty God, is my strength, my refuge. He is ever present. Somebody say ever present. He's ever present. He's always there, and he's a help in times of trouble. So even if the earth was removed, that would be a little troublesome. Right? Mountains carried into the sea. Waters, floods everywhere. He said, I won't fear. Hmm. I won't fear. Praise the Lord. Why? Because he knows the Lord is his refuge and his fortress. Him, that total dependence upon him. So, you know, we get, we're, we're going to look at this and, and, and understand some things, you know, as we look to, to God. But when we begin to look at this, you know, there's certainly probably more, but we're going to look at a couple of things this morning. Two ways that when we look at help, two ways that we can uh, see help coming, right? Number one way is when somebody does it for you. Somebody does it for you. And so, you know, I, my, my two daughters, my wife, they, they all seem to pick this up. I, it might be in their, their mom's DNA or, or something. But, uh, you know, if I need help with technology, my phone, my computer or something, you know, I, I come on something, an app, you know, they'll talk about an app. Well, how do I get that app? Anytime I ask them for help, they just come over, I'll help you. And they come over and they take my phone away from me. And they sit down and they do stuff and then they come back and they go, here. I'm like, well, thanks for the help. But now next time, I won't know how to do anything. Right? And so there's that help that somebody does for you. But that help that somebody does for you creates a dependence always. Now, again, just stay with me because I know I don't want you to get religious. We'll compartmentalize this just for the sake of our discussion, not eliminate it. But I know that Jesus has done some stuff for us that we could not do for ourselves. We are totally dependent upon him. He died on the cross. He bore our sin. Unfortunately, people think they have to bear their sin. They have to bear their, their cross like he did, sickness and disease. He did that for us, right? So we don't have to bear those things. But just set that aside right now because the second way that help comes is... When somebody takes that, you know, that same analogy, if they take my phone and they start to walk me through and give me the knowledge that they have, thereby empowering me to do those things. Now, listen, if I get empowered to do that with that same knowledge, that same ability, that same understanding, now I am positioned with that, then if somebody asks for help, I'm empowered to help them. Right now, if you need to know how to download a certain app, you're going to have to ask my wife or my girls or my office. Because they've never really empowered me. They just do it for me. And so every time I need help, I ask somebody. And I've told them many times, I'm, I'm like, uh, just show me. And it, they just don't have time. It's much easier for them to just do it themselves. Amen? But... 
that's not really uh, the way I don't believe that God is looking at it. Right? It's the way God's looking at it. So, you know, in, in, to the Corinthian church, Paul said this. Paul, uh, who had an amazing experience with God, he was caught up into the third heavens. He said whether he's in the body or out of the body, he didn't even know. It was so real to him to be caught up in the third heavens. And he saw things. He said, I saw things. I heard things. You can't even talk about on earth because they're so grand. They're so magnificent that they're just there. And God gave me this revelation to preach to people that Christ would come live on the inside of them. The mystery hidden from the ages was unveiled to me and God gave it to me so I could explain Christ in you, your hope of glory to go out and preach the things that I've seen and I've heard from God. But the enemy did not want that revelation to get out. He said, lest it be exalted above measure. Some, some, some people say, well, God, God kept him humble. Wait a minute. God gave him the revelation. Why would God try to keep it be, uh, from getting exalted? It was the devil. He even said it was a messenger of Satan. How people get that all confused. The enemy tried this revela- to get this revelation. So Paul's preaching this revelation. People are coming behind that, disputing it, creating a problem for Paul. And it's wearing on Paul. It's wearing on his patience. It's wearing on his personality. He's like, God, help me. He said three times, I'm wearing out, God. If you don't do something for me, I don't know if I can continue on. And God said, yeah, I ain't coming down there to do something for you. He said, I've done something in you, my grace, my grace, that divine influence from that vision that stirred your heart, that you felt like I could take this anywhere to the world and they'd get it, that divine influence upon your heart that's going to have its reflection in your life, the favor that I've given you with the people you're preaching to, maybe not those messengers of Satan, but the people you're preaching to are open, aren't they? I've given you divine favor and I've empowered you. To go beyond your own ability. So he said, I know the pressure seems like you can't take it anymore. But let me show you something about my grace. And he got a revelation of the grace of God empowering him. And he went, (laughs) "Woo! glory to God. He said, I'm not going to worry about this messenger of Satan anymore. I'm not worrying about this problem anymore because I just saw I don't have to do this in my own power. I have strength and help to deal with this. And so rather I glory in my weakness that the power of God might be seen in me. He said, that made me rejoice. I believe if I can communicate this, even in part, there's going to be a glimmer of that, that your joy is going to come to you in some of the situations of life that you're like, oh, God, God, do something. If you don't do something, I'm in trouble. And you realize he already did something. And the moment you see his empowerment, you're going to go, ha, 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 I'm so glad I'm not doing this on my own anymore. I rejoice in my weakness because I realize that when I'm weak, something supernatural kicks in to my life and it starts to move through the fiber of my being and starts to grow. But yet, see, at the same time, we still are in a place where we get under pressure and we're like, God, just do it. God, just do it for me. Wouldn't it be nice if God just did it for me? And God's like, if I did it for you, I believe he was telling Paul, if I do that for you, the next town you go to, then you're going to want me to do it for you. And the next town you go to, you're going to want to do it for you. And if I don't, if it doesn't happen in your timing, you're going to quit. 
So I'm not going to do it for you. I've already done for you what I'm going to do. Now you see and activate. And then from this town to that town, you'll realize you're victorious. You're strengthened. You're empowered to bring that vision, which when it gets on the inside of other people, they'll be empowered. And now the enemy is so afraid of that that he's putting pressure on you, hoping you'll fail. You say, well, that was the Apostle Paul. God's got things for you to do. But the enemy knows that, and he's trying to buffet you. He's trying to discourage you. He's trying to weigh you down. And many times they're like, God, where are you? I can't do this another day. But you can when you see and recognize the help and the grace of God that he's put on your life. Amen. Praise the Lord. So I don't believe God just wants to do everything for us. He's done what he's done. And because he's done what he's done, he wants to empower us individually in the church to do and to be like him. Amen. So, you know, Pastor Jonathan taught on holiness last week. And I believe that that's a critical point that we need to look at. When we start looking at what are we going to be empowered to do, I believe that he's empowering us, he's helping us to become holy. He's helping us to become holy. Now, I knew it would get quiet in here because we have such a weird understanding of holiness. We've got tired of holiness. We think it's something that we do of our own works without God. And it's so hard and we could never really accomplish this holiness. How many believe God can't lie? Right? He's not a man that he should lie. Son of man that he should repent. If he said it, right, it's true. He'll do it. So turn over to 1 Peter. 1 Peter and chapter 1, starting in verse 14. He said, as obedient children, as obedient children, highlight obedient. Put a real uh, star right outside there in the margin of your Bible. Because it's important. We'll see it over and over again. He said, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. So what's he saying? He's saying before we were saved, we were ignorant to some things. We didn't know what Jesus had done on the cross. We didn't know that we were saved. We didn't know that he bore our sickness in his own body. We didn't know that he bore our sin, uh, our poverty, all that, that sin had done to us in his own body, that he was buried, that he destroyed the enemy, raised from the dead for our justification died to forgive us of our sin, raised for our justification to make us righteous. Then he was seated at the right hand of majesty on high to give us power and authority over the enemy so we could live free from that sin. He said, when you were ignorant of that, you were dictated by the lusts and the former conduct. He said, but now that you know what Christ has done, live in obedience to that form of life. Don't go back to as if you didn't know. Don't go back to as if you didn't know. Praise the Lord. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Be holy for I am holy. Well, now how could he go ahead and say that? Because he died, he raised from the dead, and he put his life in you. How many of you believe when you got born again, Jesus' life came to live in on the inside of you? 
believe the Holy Spirit came to live on the inside of you. Okay, so let me just help you break that down a little bit. Don't want to be too elementary, but hopefully something like this will click on the inside when your old man wants to take over. So well, I don't know about this holy thing. He put the Holy Spirit in you. I don't know if I can be holy. The Holy Spirit lives in you. He took out of you a sinful part and he put the Holy Spirit. See how that mind thought, the enemy comes with thoughts in your mind. Well, I don't know if I can do this. The Holy Spirit lives in you. To do what? To make you like him. Holy. Jump over to verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in what? Obeying. You might highlight that under light. Obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So now he's saying, listen, you purify your soul in your mind, your will, your emotions. You purify that through the spirit in loving one another from a pure heart. So holiness has to do with loving one another. Come on, as we unwrap this, when I say he's going to help us be holy, there are so many facets of development to holiness. So we get tense. We're like, oh my God, I got to do everything right. Well, he's going to help you understand how this all fits together and why we come into trouble when we decide, oh, I love people. I'm just casual. He said, no, you're going to need help to love at the depths that I'm calling you to love at. You can't just write it off. Well, I love people and then end up being upset, disappointed, discouraged, always nobody ever measuring up to your thinking. He said, no, I'll help you to see people in a different way. Compassion, understanding. It'll move you. Praise the Lord. All right. Praise the Lord. So he's moving us to a place. He's helping us. Turn over to Philippians chapter 2. That's where I want to get today. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2. What a powerful portion of scripture. When we break it down, I think we've gone away from this simply just because it mainly talks and uses some words in a way that we've just abandoned to some degree. But I want to re refire this. Re restir this in your thinking. If you're thinking, oh my goodness, I, I don't know if I want to come back and hear about this holiness. Don't do that. Don't do that at all. Say, I can't wait to come back next week and hear how God's going to help me be holy. Because holiness is not a drudgery. All right, I'll say that over here. Holiness is not a drudgery. Right? There is something so beautiful to holiness. The psalmist said, man, I worship you in the beauty of holiness. Wow, there's something about power and purity. 
that we need to grasp and understand. You know, Jerry taught this one Sunday night. I don't know if you were in first service, so we'll need to talk. I'm going to have him teach it again. The more he teaches it, the more God will really start to bring out even more and more. But as an electrician, God showed him some things about how uh, pure metal is a, a better conductor of power, of power. And so God, you know, sometimes we're just thinking about, uh, 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 you know, well, I don't know, it's a drudgery, but yeah, man, we want to we see God move. We want to see some signs and wonders. We want to see some stuff. Well, how did it happen? How does it happen? It doesn't just happen because we want to. It happens through purity. So Mark chapter 5, you know the woman with the issue of blood? She suffered many things of many physicians for 12 years. Uh, didn't get better, but rather grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she said within herself and kept on saying, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. So she came upon him in the press. People were all over. And finally, she got to him and touched the hem of his garment. The moment she did, virtue, some translations say power, King James says, and virtue went out of him. Virtue went out of him. One second, Peter, it tells us, you know, that we add to our faith virtue. Or, or if, if we believe in everything that Jesus did, we'll find in that believing or faith virtue. Well, what is virtue in that particular definition? Moral excellence. So in what Jesus has done for us in redemption, we'll find that he has put aside sin that we might have a moral excellence. We might know what's right or wrong. Virtue. So Jesus was holy. He was without sin. He was virtuous. But in that purity, when she touched the hem of his garment, stay with me, when she touched the hem of his garment, holiness flowed out of him. And everything that was pure attacked that sickness in her body and healed her. See, we're looking for something. We're looking, man, I don't care what's in my life. I just want that anointing. But we have holiness, that purity of life. Purity cleanses defilement. Purity cleanses. So when she touched Jesus, his holiness flew out of him. We're going to talk about help in prayer. But when the Holy Spirit, when we interact with Him in prayer, and we step into that place of the beauty of His holiness, we find that place of prayer where we're not always just asking. We're not, you know, Alan just said, you know, I've gotten to this place where I just come to get into His presence. And once we get into His presence, we get, get more active in His presence. We're going to dive deeper into the presence. When we get into the presence, He is holy. He's pure. And we realize we, we move over to that place that in Him, in that presence, He purifies us. And in the pureness of who He is and the pureness of who we are, there is a pure, undefiled reflection of who He's created us to be. Where your worry, your stress, your sin, your doubts, your worries are gone because you see exactly and the Holy Spirit is right there to say, this reflection is what I'm doing in you. So when you step out of this place and you look into a mirror and see your natural 
your natural self. And it tries to tell you, you're not worthy. You're not good enough. You don't look good enough. You're not smart enough. You've made too many mistakes. He said, don't do that because there's a pure reflection. And I'm going to work with the pure reflection and change you from one degree of glory to the next. As only I can do. You can't do it. But I can help you. And you look like a totally different person. And you look good. You look good. Praise the Lord. You look good in Christ. All right, so Philippians chapter 2. Don't know how we got there or why we went there, but... He said, therefore, my beloved, he's talked about some, some great things here, walking in love again. He just finishes talking about that. He says, therefore, my beloved, is you have always obeyed. Ah, there it is again. Highlight that, underline that. Obeyed. That's three scriptures we've gone to, and obedience is in there. I know some of you are like, well, I think that's just works. No, it's not works. We'll break, we'll break that open. Praise the Lord. If you don't want any works, then you want him to do it for you, and then you'll ask later, why, don't, why does it seem like I have no power to overcome? See, it's one thing to say, this is tough. Could you just do this for me? But as you continue to grow in life and take adversity, at some point, if you keep wanting somebody to do it for you, you will feel totally powerless. When we feel powerless, the enemy will absolutely dominate your, whole, your emotions, your feelings, the course of your life. But each time we learn, we join together, we receive from the helper, the strength and the grace, we begin to be more and more empowered for every situation and circumstance. And then we arrive at that place that's bigger, that's grander. We are prepared to occupy that place with the power of God. Obeyed not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He goes on to say, so then do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become what? Blameless and harmless. So complaining and disputing must do damage. Okay, we'll move on. We'll get to that at a later date. A little, little too much for this morning. Harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Oh God, there's so much stuff going on around me. Paul said right here, there'll be a crooked and perverse generation, but you could shine. I could shine as a light in the midst of that. So we go back here. Many people have avoided this workout. See, that's Old Testament workout. We, we aren't supposed to work. We're supposed to live by grace, not by works. Well, he's not talking about Old Testament works. He's talking about the effort that we put in to what God has done for us, right? The effort that we put in. Pastor Hagen says it like this, when the natural and the supernatural come together, there's explosive power made possible. Explosive power made possible. And so he says there's a part that we play and a part that God plays 
in the midst of this. So really, even in talking about that working out, John 6, Jesus said this, verse 27, he said, do not labor. So he's saying there's going to be some things that you do. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. In other words, why are you putting all your effort in? Uh, as uh, Zane said, Matthew chapter 6, why are we putting in all the effort into things like the Gentiles do, when if we put our efforts into him, he is the spirit supply and source of everything that we have need of. But it takes effort to see him, to, to labor for the things that he has for us, not to labor to win the prize, but to even work to put our flesh under to see the fullness of everything that belongs to us in Christ. He said, uh, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. 2 Peter chapter 1 says this, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and your election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. So he lined out, we just said that, you know. He said, uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who by his own divine power has given to us everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, who called us by glory and virtue. He goes on to say that if you believe all that, that he called you by glory and virtue, he paid the price for your life, add to your faith virtue, or within that believing what Jesus did for you, you'll find moral excellence, virtue. And when you find virtue, moral excellence, you'll find a greater degree of knowledge of him. And in the knowledge of him, you'll find perseverance. You'll find how you navigate everything in life through that. And in perseverance, you'll find godliness. And in godliness, you'll find brotherly kindness. And in brotherly kindness, you'll find love. He says, if these things are yours and abound, you'll be neither barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, he just told us how we access everything that pertains to life and godliness. He said, we do it by the knowledge of him. And he just told us how to grow in the knowledge of him by doing these things. Predictable success right? He said, if you're diligent in these things, in other words, you put your effort into these things, it'll bring you to a place that you never stumble. Man, I love that. When I read that, I've looked over this over and over and over again, trying to get greater revelation. Never stumble. Never stumble. Never stumble. We look at these things and over and over and over again, never stumble. Our mind goes, the devil immediately will take that and say, oh, that doesn't mean never stumble. Washed your sin away. Oh, that doesn't mean all your sin. You're still a sinner. Don't forget you're still a sinner. Just know you're still going to stumble. And those little thoughts that come immediately when somebody says never stumble, wash all your sin away. Why would he do that? Why would he immediately contradict that? Because he knows if you knew that and put that effort towards that, the Holy Spirit would empower you and you'd not stumble. I'd not stumble. So it's an important, powerful place for us to be. So this, uh, praise the Lord. He said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God that works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. I want to read from you from Kenneth Weiss' word study. 
about this so we ha- can have a greater understanding of what this mean, this work out means. It doesn't mean that, that we're working out the inward salvation. It means that we're working to an end goal or to a final conclusion, that we are processing this to the end goal or the final conclusion. He said the words work out are the translation of a Greek word which means to carry out to the goal, to carry to its ultimate conclusion. We say the student worked out the problem in arithmetic. That is, he carried the problem to its ultimate conclusion. This is the way it used to, uh, is used here. The Philippians, just like us, are exhorted to carry their salvation to its ultimate conclusion, namely Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness or holiness. Our salvation, we're like, well, I'm saved. Do we look like Jesus yet? So we're trying to bring this, not just to say, I got saved, I'm going to heaven. The conclusion is Christ-likeness. When Paul said, I haven't yet achieved the mark of the high calling, but I forget what's behind, and I press towards the prize of the mark of the high calling. The high calling is Christ-likeness. Some people say, I just want to know what I'm called to. We're called to Christ-likeness. Well, I want to know my ministry. It's the ministry of reconciliation. If you start there, all kinds of things will explode and be revealed how you'll carry that out. But Christ-likeness. The salvation spoken of here is not justification, but sanctification, victory over sin, and the living of a life pleasing to the Lord Jesus. They are to see it, uh, they are to see to it that they make progress in their Christian lives. They are to do this with fear and trembling. This is not a slavish terror, but a wholesome caution. This fear is self distrust. It is tenderness of conscience. It is vigilance against temptation. It is the fear which inspiration opposes to high-mindedness in the admonition, be not high-minded, but fear. It is taking heed lest we fall. It is a constant apprehension of the deceitfulness of the heart and of the insidious and power of inward corruption. It is the caution and circumspection which timidly shrinks from whatever uh, would offend and dishonor God our Savior. So he said, listen, we're, we're here to bring to a fruition this Christ-likeness in our life. People say, well, what? I just want to go to heaven. I really just don't want to do all that. I got things to do. Just stay with me for a, a moment. This holiness, this Christ-likeness not only just releases power, but it's the number one call in our life. My number one call is not to be pastor. My number one call is to be Christ-like. But if I'm like Christ, I'll be a great pastor. If I'm like Christ, I'll be a great husband. If I'm like Christ, I'll be a great father. Because he knows how to do all that. He's a great pastor. He's a great father. He's a great husband. If I'm Christ-like and I'm called to business, I'll be a great businessman. Because he's so wise. I mean, he created the heavens and the earth and everything that in them is. He put them all together. He could certainly work for you as a businessman. If I was like Christ, I would know what to do in every relationship. Because he knew exactly what to do. I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this. Sure you do. Because he's the one that lives in you. Holiness is not a burden. Holiness is what you yearn for on the inside that the enemy keeps robbing us from. Because we're trying to reach a place of holiness on our own. 
But he said, if you just even desire to come to this place, he said, I will work in you. He said, you work out, you, you determine, you're going to bring this through. You're going to do your part. You're going to set down sin. You're going to, with a fear that this could come back on me, you're going to, that apprehension, you're going to push that away. And he says, because you know that the Holy Spirit, God is at work in you right now to will and to do. That word will means to give you the desire. It doesn't mean just how I've reasoned out, now I have a desire. It actually means an emotional desire to become Christ-like. He said, if you yield to the Holy Spirit, I don't feel like that. That'll be so hard. It says, he, you yield to him, he'll say, no, it won't be hard. Come on, let's do it. He, he'll give you the want to. He'll give you the want to. Come on, I know you're not looking like you want to. But we're going to go through this. And he's going to develop in you the want to, to put aside the weight and the sin that has beset us and knocked us off track, the things that easily take us out, the arguments, the feelings, the emotion that take us out of the way and say, listen, I'm ready to get engaged in the race and to put that aside. I want to. I want to experience my salvation, not the struggle, but the victory of it. I want to not be like I used to be, but be a totally different person, more like Christ. I want to. The Holy Spirit's working right now to say, you want to, come on. So what if I don't want to? You do if he lives in you. If you have no want to, then you might need to get saved. And I'm not saying that tongue-in-cheek. If you have no desire to be like him. So I prayed that prayer a long time ago. But if something didn't click over to say, I don't want to live the way I have always lived. Something's stirring in me to be different. You might not have been different yet, but you're like, if I could get to that place, if I don't want to be different, then he's bringing that desire, not you. But then we have to determine, if he gives me the desire, he also is going to give me the power. The power. Jesus said, when your want to, when your love for me becomes so intense, John chapter 14, verse 15, when you decide to fall in love with me, there's going to be desire to live life my way, to do my commands. And when you love me and yield to that desire to do my commands, I have sent you the helper, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. Come on, the Spirit of truth. Somebody needs to hear this. You've been believing lies about you forever, and it keeps holding you down. You're about ready to step into what God called you to do and somebody says you're not good enough. Somebody says you don't look just right. Somebody says you've never measured up and it's time to just say, listen, I want to and I'm going to believe what the Holy Spirit tells me, not what's been whispered in my ear all my life. Why would you believe that? What's been said to me all my life, but he's broken the power of that. You have to choose to believe what the Spirit of God says. And He will help you. He will help you. Come on, we're going to break this open in this series of messages.
So his love will help purify you. Prayer. He helps us walk in love. He helps us to pray. He strengthens us to do God's will. He's an ever-present help in our time of trouble. But if we let him, he's going to change our life to such a degree that I believe that when we look in the mirror, we start to see him as he is. We step into that place of prayer, we see that pure reflection. And we step out and we look in the natural mirror and say, wait a minute, these two don't line up. Our goal isn't like, well, what's the use? Our goal is like, nope, I've seen that too many times. I'm combing my hair different tomorrow. You know what I mean. Not literally combing your hair different. Making some changes. Because what I see in prayer about myself is different than what I see in the natural mirror. So I'm going to change what I see in the natural mirror to line up. Well, how do I do that? I yield to the helper. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I mean, really, if I wanted to have a different hairstyle, I wouldn't go at it myself. I would call Brittany. And she would help me look different. Because she's gone to school for all that. So she'd help me. We want to look different. We go to the Holy Spirit. Why don't you stand up? Father, we thank you. We praise you. We magnify you. Glorify you.